Hey guys, my name is Emily and I'll be doing the second Bible reading, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12 to chapter 2 verse 13. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us, just as we boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I do not return to Corinth. Not that we look not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you, to some extent, not to put it too, too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him, so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his schemes. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are continuing our series on 2 Corinthians, and our passage today will get us all to do a, a fair bit of self-reflecting on our relationships and to learn from the Apostle Paul. Well, let's join in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, we pray, thanking you for this part of your word in Scripture. We pray that we'll all learn from the example of the Apostle Paul and from Jesus himself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the important and unique aspects of being a human being, which has been highlighted all the more over the last few months, 
has been the importance of relationships. And that is because we have been made by God as relational beings. Because God himself is relational. From all eternity, Father, Son and Spirit relating in perfect love. And that is why I suspect many of us are missing relationships. Relating to one another, being together in person, with our family, with our friends and our church family. You see, having brothers and sisters and parents and children and friends and colleagues and peers, they're meant to be a source of joy and delight and comfort and security. We just want to hang out together and spend time together because it is good. We are relational. But I wonder, how many of you now are living with strained relationships? A friendship that used to be so close, but now you don't even call each other. Or a parent whom you haven't spoken to in years, and you're glad you don't live that close to them. Or a brother or sister who has hurt you deeply in the past, and you've just left it at that, and it's eating inside of you. Or a friendship that has been severed, and each time you think of that friend, it just leaves a sour taste. And so I wonder whether... That might be some of your experiences now. You see, relationship is meant, it's meant to be good. We were made for it, but it can become so, so messy. And the reality is that relationships within the church, even amongst the community of faith, is no different. Even within the church, relationships can get messy. And that is simply because the church is not a hotel for the healthy but a hospital for the sick, a place not of perfect people, but forgiven sinners, learning to live God-centered, gospel-transformed lives. And so if you are listening to this and you're not yet a Christian, and perhaps you had a bad experience with the church, it is so unfortunate and it can't be justified. Christians are meant to live a life that honors God. But when you come across a messy church with messy relationships, it is to be expected because it is a place for forgiven sinners learning to live God-centered, gospel-transformed lives. And what I've come to really appreciate about this letter of Paul was that he did not pretend that the church was a perfect place with perfect relationships. And we learn from the Apostle Paul in this passage about messy relationships about how he responded himself to harsh criticisms and accusations and what he did in response to pain and sin committed against him. And there are lessons in this passage today, lessons for all of us in our personal lives and also in our church life. And so as we look at this passage, first we see in the face of accusations and criticisms, Paul remained faithful over the last few years since i started out in pastoral ministry i've really come to appreciate a lot more the type of pastor the apostle paul was you think about the life of the apostle paul and how much he did for god and how far he traveled to bring the gospel to the gentiles the numerous churches he planted along the way and the wealth of wisdom that god gave him he wrote almost half the new testament and so anyone would think, well, wouldn't it be so awesome to have the Apostle Paul as your pastor? Everyone would love him and respect him. 
He'll be like the pastor of the mega church. Everyone want to be, will want to be at his church. Well, what I've come to appreciate was that that was not the case at all, in fact. He was not very well loved by everyone. There were even Christians who went out to cause him harm. He experienced slander and gossip and hatred and accusations and harsh criticisms. He experienced, as the apostle of Jesus Christ, he experienced messy relationships, even though he was the apostle. But what we can learn was how he responded in those messy relationships. In the face of accusations and criticisms, he remained faithful. And that was what Paul appealed to in his, to his own conscience before them and before God. Have a look at verse 12 with me. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. Now Paul was able to be so bold because as far as he knew his own heart, he treated them with sincerity and he had a clear conscience. And so he wanted to set the record straight. But what was it that they were accusing him of? Well, they were accusing him of being double-minded, saying one thing but doing another, not keeping his word, and he was written off as unspiritual. There appeared to be criticisms of Paul for changing his travel plans for visiting them. And so they entertained different motives and reasons for why Paul would have done such a thing. Now when you read of this, we might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? But what it shows is how easily something that begins so small all it takes is harsh critical attitude to presume upon the intentions of another and you end up doing damage to the character of that person i mean have you ever experienced anything like that where something you said or did was taken out of context without clarifying with you and eventually there are rumors and gossips and a whole concocted narrative about you and you find out as people give you the cold shoulder or they become unfriendly or give sharp responses to you. Something small and has resulted in fractured relationships all over. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Or have you been guilty of something like that? Be very careful what we say about someone else behind their back and how many churches have been destroyed because Christians behave in such unchristian ways. In fact, only the other week, I spent some time counselling a fellow brother minister who was considering leaving the ministry because he was finding it too hard. It was almost destroying him. Some were extremely harsh and unfairly critical of him and even abusive to his wife publicly. But I had the chance to counsel him with another fellow brother minister. We, we counselled him, persevere, remain faithful to God. Well, Paul experienced that. And what did Paul do? Now, we may not be like Paul, but we have to learn from him. Paul did change his plans, but it was to spare them some more pain from another visit. It was out of love. It was for their good. But they just made all sorts of accusations about him that were all ungrounded. And so Paul responded here to their harsh critique of him. Look at verse 17. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say, yes, yes, and no, no? 
You see, they're rhetorical questions. And the answer is meant to be, of course not. They did not see inside the heart of Paul. He always remained faithful and acted with a clear conscience because he knew that one day he would have to stand before God and give account. But Paul's fear was now that if that's what they're thinking about me as an apostle of Jesus Christ, then what might they be thinking about the gospel of Jesus I preached to them? And so as clearly as he could put it, he said, do not make any mistake about the gospel and the promises of God. You might be thinking that I'm unfaithful, which I'm not, but do not think that way about God. And so look at verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. And then have a look at verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And so Paul was adamant, do not make any mistakes about the promises of God. They are yes. But what do we learn from Paul in the face of accusations and criticisms? Well, he always remained faithful. Well, next we see from Paul's example, in the face of hurt, what did he do? He remained loving. See, before Paul wrote this letter of 2 Corinthians, he visited the church on what he described as a painful visit. And he found himself the object of a hurtful attack by an individual. Now, we're not told the specifics of that, but he could perhaps refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when a man slept with his stepmother and the church was proud of it. And so on that visit, Paul was calling the man to account. But that was not met by any of the church's support. He wanted the church to act rightly and to discipline and to take out moral action, to right what was wrong. But the church appeared to have stood by and did nothing. Now again reading this, we might find this quite strange that this was happening to the Apostle Paul. But again, we have to remember, the church is not a hotel for the healthy but a hospital for the sick, a place for forgiven sinners to learn to live God-centered, gospel-transformed lives. But what do you expect the Apostle Paul to have done in the face of hurt? Well, when you experience hurt and conflict of any kind, what are the different responses? Well, we could become resentful and bitter. Your, your attitude towards that person changes. It becomes sharp and dark. Or you could start the blame game. It's not my fault, it's your fault. And you start to look for the speck in your brother's eye, but ignoring the log in your own eye. Or you could just avoid, walk away from it, it's too hard. Well, Paul could have done that. He could have placed his focus and efforts on the other churches. And that's what many people do today. Move on to new friendship groups, move, move churches even. And perhaps it's a timely question for some of us, and that is whether we are running away from any conflict at the moment. But instead, what did Paul do? Well, even though he was hurt and deeply hurt, he responded in love. He didn't avoid them, but he wrote to them. And he's referring to a severe letter he wrote between 1 and 2 Corinthians. Remember, we're in a time before mobile phones and Zoom. And in that letter, he wasn't afraid to correct them, rebuke them, even if it caused him some pain. He didn't avoid pain, which we often like to do. We just avoid it, but not Paul. Instead, 
as a gentle but firm shepherd, he confronted the issue. He said what needed to be said so that there would be, in the end, reconciliation and joy. Have a look at verse 3 of chapter 2 now. I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. In our church, in fact, in our denomination, there are clear guidelines for church discipline when there is moral failure. And the elders are to be like shepherds, gently, wisely, but firmly take action, but always with the aim of reconciliation and joy. You see, walking away from hurt, from conflict, always appears easier. But it is harder to love, but love we must. And we can see how hard it was for the Apostle Paul. It was with anguish and tears he wrote that letter. Look at verse 4. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. And there again is a lesson for us. In the face of hurt, we can respond in all sorts of ways. Bitterness, lash out, the cold shoulder, slander, the blame game, or denial and avoidance. But Paul teaches us, respond always in love. And finally, we see from Paul's example, though he was sinned against, he extended forgiveness. There is a time and place for discipline. Though the church is a hospital for sinners, we are meant to be transformed sinners who grow to hate sin. But then there is a time for forgiveness. And that is what Paul speaks of now. The sin of this individual was not only against Paul, but it was against the church. And he's been punished and disciplined, which meant that the church did listen and respond to Paul rightly in his previous letter. And so now is the time for forgiveness. And that's what we see in verses 6 to 8. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. It's a beautiful picture of how reconciliation can look like, isn't it? And perhaps the benefit of the early church was that if that was your church, that was your church family. You can't just leave your church and join another one down a road. There wasn't that luxury. You had to stay and work it out, which is the gospel way. It's a powerful thing. I remember as a younger boy at the church I attended, there was this one service when a couple was asked by the pastor to confess up front how they have deceived the church. It was in relation to their marriage. And the church reaffirmed their love for them. And I remember thinking, isn't that what reconciliation looks like? And that was what the Apostle Paul was wanting for this church, that they would forgive and reconcile. And that's what we see in verses 9 to 10. The reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And Paul uses here now strong language 
for them not to forgive and not to reconcile, it is to give into the trap of Satan and to allow Satan to get a foothold, to breed bitterness and hatred and division in the church. And it is to undermine the Christian fellowship and the gospel message. And I wonder whether you've seen that happening before in relationships or communities or churches destroyed because there was an unwillingness to forgive and reconcile. Well, Paul didn't want to see that. Have a look at verses 10 to 11 again. I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. It was John Stott who once said, The devil loves to lurk around angry people, hoping to be able to exploit the situation to his own advantage by provoking them into hatred or violence or a breach of fellowship. And that's why Paul sets up the pattern and model here for us. Though he was sinned against and he was deeply hurt, he extended forgiveness. And so what have we seen in this passage? Well, one, when accused, remain faithful. Two, when hurt, remain loving. Three, when sinned against, extend forgiveness. Now, I suspect you might be thinking what I'm thinking, and that is, well, it's easier said than done. But it is exactly how the church needs to be. Because we remember we ourselves are forgiven sinners. We're not perfect, but we're learning to live God-centered, gospel-transformed lives. You see, when you reflect on the cross of Christ, Jesus didn't die on the cross. He didn't cry out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He didn't die on the cross so that we might remain bitter and hateful and resentful, so that we can be content with broken relationships, so that we can run away from any conflict we experience, so that we can get away with never extending forgiveness. That will be unchristian. And so it is worth for all of us to ask ourselves in any of our relationships, can I say, What Paul said, as far as I know my own heart, my conscience testifies that I have conducted myself in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. And if you find yourself to be one of those highly critical person, rarely with anything encouraging to say, well, just remember the lock in your own eye and how your words can be far more damaging than you intended. Instead, Think before criticizing. Use your words to encourage and to build up. Or if you find yourself to be one who is quick to get angry, who easily gossips and slanders, well, remember that the devil is lurking and he could be using your anger to destroy another person. Instead, don't presume upon intentions. Don't be baited by gossip. Watch your tongue. And if you find yourself living with some sour relationships now that's weighing you down, perhaps it means a phone call, a sincere letter, and when we're allowed to, a coffee catch-up. But pray that God will give you grace and love to do so. Now that fellow minister brother of mine who I shared about earlier, On my last chat with him, I was so thankful to God to hear that the one who was causing him trouble and heartache for him and his wife came to him and apologized and they reconciled. 
What a wonderful display of the gospel. And so what do we want for all the relationships in our church? Well, what we want is that our lives and our relationships will always display slowly but surely that we're indeed forgiven sinners, learning and making progress in living God-centered, gospel-transformed lives. That is our prayer. Well, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Paul and also the example of the Lord Jesus. Give us grace and strength to do likewise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.